0: so you can succeed. If you're ready to join a community of other entrepreneurs redefining success and finding fulfillment, go to BeFulfilledLife.com and join the community. Now, let's dive into today's show. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success. My name is Tony Grebmeyer, and today we are connecting with a dear friend of mine, Anna David. Now, Anna's a New York Times bestselling author who has written two novels, five nonfiction books about addiction, recovery, and relationships. Wow, all things that I'm really excited about know something about myself. So this is going to be a fun interview as we go up success mountain. What I really want you to know today is uh, just from her industry experience, her, her recovery, and all of the relationships she's been able to create, some dynamic authors out there in the world. And I really want you to talk about, Anna, when we get you on the show today, about how you help entrepreneurs to tell their stories, get published, sell books, and build their audiences. I know as somebody who's writing a book myself, what we're going to be talking about today is just compelling and it's all going to come down to lighthustlepublishing.com and I want to talk about that so much more. But first, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Tony. I love being here already.
0: All right. Well, you're in a good place. So see if you still like me after I ask you this question. (laughs) What is your definition of success?
1: My definition of success is achieving everything you want to and remembering uh, to be satisfied with that. I, okay, I'm going to end on that. I've got some more to add, but that's how I'm going to do it.
0: Wow. Okay, so achieving everything, I'm going I'm I'm to chunk that down. And then what was the last part? Because I was and, so caught up in your answer, I wasn't writing fast enough.
1: Um, remember, I think it was this, remembering to feel great about it. Now, the reason this is a crucial question is my most recent book is how to get successful by effing up your life. Hmm. And and I was reared on the idea of success. That was the only thing that mattered. And I never felt successful until I learned how to like actually internally feel it. I feel like you might relate to this. All those years of success in the eyes of the world, but not feeling it yourself.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I I can tell you from my own personal experience, looking at the person in the mirror and not liking the reflection But I had all the success, right? Nice house, nice car, wife, all those things. But there was like this pit of misery inside of me saying, I'm not happy. What's next? And I was always chasing. And, you know, that's part of my recovery story is really the chasing for something. So we talked a little bit in your intro about addiction, recovery, and relationships. So we're right where we need to be doing exactly what we should be doing, talking about it and helping the world to understand they're not alone. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up?
1: Yes. I grew up in Marin County, a very affluent community outside San Francisco, where everything looks perfect. (laughs) Uh, I would say my family did not look perfect. My dad was actually busted for embezzlement when I was a junior in high school. But before that point, he was a really successful local businessman. He, uh, he, he was like the crazy Eddie of uh, the Bay Area. He was the first guy to sell discount TV and stereos. And then he was the first guy to sell Apple computers in the Bay Area, which was a big deal. But he had some issues and uh, it was all over the paper and, you know, really affected my life.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, what kind of relationship did you have growing up with your dad after going through that experience?
1: My dad is really mentally ill uh, in ways that that don't even totally make sense. He was fantastically supportive in terms of financially, in terms of always putting me in private schools, and incredibly generous in that way, but that's really about it.
0: Are you an only child?
1: No, I have an older brother.
0: Okay, so you have an older brother. Relationship with your mom, solid?
1: Solid. My mom's great. Yeah.
0: Because I, what I like to do is we go up success mountain is kind of unpack what we already know, right? We know some of that. And then in your intro, we talk about addiction. And so I kind of want to kind of figure out how we can really go up success mountain, kind of go fast because I really want to get into light, you know, light hustle publishing and all the stuff that you're doing to help entrepreneurs because I'm an entrepreneur and everybody who listens are an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And uh, so first question I want to ask around this is, do you think everybody in them has a story that they could put out into the world?
1: Absolutely. Everybody should not be writing their own story (laughs) because here's the thing, Tony, I do not have that interesting a life. And yet I've made it into eight books and hundreds, if not thousands of articles. It does not matter what your story is. It's how it's told.
0: Gotcha. All right. So you're telling a compelling story, childhood, Marin County, Bay area, California, Life is kind of on the outside looks good, on the inside, some stuff you're struggling with. You talked a little bit about kind of messed you up. Yeah. Did that lead in your early 20s into addiction or was this something later in life you you, you finally got a hold of?
1: Well, I kind of see myself as alcoholic from the first drink and it's very popular to say uh, alcoholism is a disease, it doesn't matter what happened to me, but I will say that 100% of the people I know in recovery had some trauma in their childhood. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but I believe uh, we have a genetic predisposition that's either sort of exacerbated or diminished based, based on what happens to us. And so I would say that Uh, You know, people talk in recovery about like I was never comfortable in my own skin. That's, That's not my story. I was like a super comfortable, super well adjusted kid until the age of 16. And that's where it went dark. I did start drinking, experimenting with drinking before then. You know, I had my first drink when I was 12. But I think it had a lot to do with that. I think what, what ha, you know, my childhood ha, has a lot to do with feeling um, like I couldn't handle my feelings and I needed to get away from them.
0: So at 16, you kind of fast forward your life, you know, you start consuming alcohol and you, you know, your story is, is similar to mine where it's like, it wasn't, I wasn't comfortable in my skin. For me, I, I spent a lot of time trying to fit in because there was, you know, this idea around my father, you know, so you're talking about your dad. I'm talking about my dad. My dad was gay. So it was the 70s. He grew up in the 80s and that wasn't discussed. And if it yeah. was, it wasn't looked upon like it is today where I'm, I'm more of a believer. I'm like, you be who you are. I'll be who I am. I love you no matter what. But when I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, I was trying to protect my dad. So I began to lie and build this persona up to protect him, but also really to protect me because I was feeling judged.
1: Right. I didn't know that about you. So he was out?
0: Yeah. I mean, in in the best way you could possibly be, which is he, he divorced my mom at three months, kind of went on his own path and his own journey. My dad produced the Miss California pageant in California for 30 plus years, a famous interior designer, traveled the world, you know, had a great life. If you looked on the outside, my dad looked like, you know, the, the, the perfect kind of like Cinderella story, I guess you would say is like, you know, Prince Charming, he was handsome, well to do, but he always had women and always had men around him. So it was very confusing for everybody around. Um, and then when he told my mom, it was like, I'm, I'm basically like, I'm leaving you. It wasn't like I'm gay. And then it took me until I was 13 to sit down and actually call my dad out and say, Hey, can we talk? Right. Sitting down and saying, Hey, I just got to ask you a question playgirl magazines in the closet. That seems a little odd in this kind of place. Like I'm thinking other, right? <laughs> it, and right. it was a real honest, open conversation. And I loved my dad until the moment he passed. But the thing that was, was his, and that's why I'm, I'm on this thread right now is because you said the trauma and the, something happened, right? Something happened to him in his childhood. Um, also just something happened to his father in a childhood. And I, it goes up that line of tons of alcoholics. Yeah. So it's not like one thing and you're like, oh, you're an alcoholic. No, there's a lot of stuff and you're, you're kind of like trying to defend it. And instead, it's just like it's, it's growing inside of you and it's causing a lot of pain. So through your addiction and through your kind of upbringing, when did you really kind of realize, oh, shit, I'm in trouble? When did you realize for the very first time in your life, like, oh, shit, this isn't working out the way I wanted it to?
1: Um, I... When I I graduated from college, never thought there was a problem. I would say it was my late 20s because, you know, I was doing cocaine alone in my apartment. With this cat, which listeners can't see, but she's 20 years old, wow. I believe, because... She was doing
0: coke with you, too. You're like, this cat.
1: <laughs> this cat. Uh, she really has survived addiction. No, but uh, but it was relevant because she and my other cat would always be knocking the mirror over uh, that I was, like, snoring coke off of. So it was relevant. But... But you can't really be doing cocaine alone in your apartment and not know on a certain level that you have a problem, that the wheels have fallen off the bus. But what I didn't know was that there was any sort of solution to that problem. I figured that would be a problem that would plague me for the rest of my life, which at that point I hoped would be very short. And um, you know, I got to the point where I couldn't live with cocaine and I couldn't live without it. So I was willing to try this thing that I had absolutely knew would be terrible, which was sobriety.
0: Did, did someone push you in that direction, Suggested in that direction? I didn't know, I had no clue about recovery when I was in the middle of my disease or towards the end of my disease. I had zero clue, because I was, it's something I'd never been around. I didn't know anything. I just thought getting a DUI after you have drinks was kind of a normal thing.
1: I did know about it. You know, growing up in Marin, there were people who got sober at my high school. You know, addiction is sort of rampant up there. And, and then I knew people, I actually had a, a a really good friend when I first moved to LA who I sort of did an intervention on and it was right before my bottoming out. I remember I was calling rehabs and I had a filofax and I was keeping the notes and I was hanging on to the notes and I kind of knew I was hanging on to them for myself, but I couldn't really admit that. So yes, I knew when people had taken me to meetings and I wanted nothing to do with it.
0: Were you a one and done or um, kind of had to go back multiple times until it finally stuck? Like, hey, this is a good solution. I can do this. I just need to work on things.
1: I was one and done-ish. I, I, you know, I had been taken, I'd maybe been to four or five meetings over 15 years and I had no interest in it. And then when I went, you know, basically my experience was I went to rehab. I went to outpatient rehab and I liked it. And I felt okay for the first time in years. And I liked group therapy and I felt comfortable. People were talking about solutions to problems I didn't understand that I had until I heard them talk about it. And then they took us, they put us in a druggie buggy and they took us to meetings and meetings were enough like group therapy that I felt comfortable. And then I loved a, a 12 step before I remembered that I hated it. And um, so I, I committed then, I did after six months go out and have a drink. I did not believe that alcoholism and addiction were the same thing. And to prove that, I went and had a glass of wine, but unfortunately followed that with like multiple bottles and four and a half hits of ecstasy. So I came back the next day, which was November 19th of 2000. But my original sober date was May, May 2nd of 2000. Wow.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, I, you know, anybody listening today, they may be affected by it because I think today in our society, it's more so meaning personal. They have somebody that they're related to. They've lost somebody. And, um, you know, it's not the whole show isn't all about what you did. It's really about what you did with what you did and now what you do, right? And how you've turned your life around, and how you inspire others to take action and do kind of the same. And, and that's really why, like, I'm super excited. We we have a joint venture project that we're working on. We've met just a few times in person, but I've always loved your passion and I really love your messaging and you don't get to be a New York Times bestselling author, you know, for just a couple things. As you say, like, to my question, everybody has a story and them, not, everybody needs to go and, you know, push it out there in the way, but you're like, my story wasn't that exciting. And I'm sitting here going ecstasy, rehab, uh, partying, living in Marin, you know, issues with your family, like your friends in school are getting sober. I'm like, Hey, I'm compelled. I'm interested. So uh, I just, it's fascinating when we start talking, we realize, you know what, we have a lot to say and we, and, and your words are very impactful. So I want to talk about, now you get into recovery, your, mm-hmm. your, your original date, and then you, you really come to the conclusion six months later, like, okay, I, I'm, I'm ready now to put change permanently in my life. How has your life in recovery been for you? If you had to sum it up, like, has it been like peaches and cream as my, my sponsor uh, likes to tell me like, or is it like a rocky road, but yet at the very end, it's still good?
1: Uh, Somewhere in between the two. Uh, I I will say that my last few years of using, I was not alive. Like I feel that I, I, I got into the world of the living and the world of the living has pain and ecstasy. When I first got sober, I had the pink cloud for a good year or two. So I thought, oh my God, I don't need therapy. I don't need medication. I don't need anything except this 12-step recovery. And it was this rude awakening a few years later when I, when I really crashed. You know, I am somebody, I do really well for long periods. And then my uh, higher power likes to teach me lessons in the form of pain, in the form of me needing to learn things that I was stubborn about learning. And, you know, I've gone through dark times. Overall, it's been, you know, mostly positive. But a year ago, I I know, because I, I remember Memorial Day weekend, I went through a breakup that just destroyed me last year. And I needed to, it wasn't about the person. It was about uh, me needing to heal trauma. And I went into EMDR therapy, which I'm still doing.
0: Yeah, I just was on a call with a fellow member the other day who, heard my show and didn't realize I was the same Tony that was in the room that I'm hosting a podcast show talking about kind of what she does and it's trauma and healing and everything. And I was like, in my head, I'm saying, I don't have any of that. And then at the very end of our conversation, she just subtly said, you know, if you ever want to sit for an hour, I'd be happy to help you. Right. And I kind of said, you know, done my fourth, I've done my fifth, I've done my work. But I'm sure there's more, right? And there's more inside all of us that there's more layers to be revealed, right? It's like the onion, right? there's there's more layers.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's what this life is all about, is figuring out why we're here and what are we meant to learn and how are we meant to help people with it.
0: Well, I, I just want to tell you, you know, Anna, thank you so much for being here today, and I really want to kind of get into the meat and potatoes of it, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break mm-hmm. and how we're going to take this break it's a breathing break. And two people in recovery, I have to remind myself to breathe that this too shall pass no matter what I'm going through, won't last. Whatever, you know, consistently I'm giving my attention to grows. So, I want to grow right now with you and we're just going to take a deep breath. We're going to go on a break. We're going to come back out. We're going to talk about Light Hustle Publishing. We're going to talk about the new journal that you helped me to work on and launching it out later in the year. And I'm, I couldn't be more excited about all of the many Blessings and gifts that you're, you're going to bestow even more on our guests today. So thank you for being here. Hold tight. We'll be right back with our guest today, Anna David, New York Times bestselling author. Written multiple books, two novels, five nonfiction books about addiction, recovery, and relationships. If you just Google Anna David, you will see her from MTV, magazines, everything. This girl is the shit. So we'll be right back on Aww. the People's Aww. Show. We're going to take a quick break. And since Tony's taking one, let's take one together.
1: Let's take a deep breath. Wherever you are, feel those ribs expand, that chest lifts towards your chin. Let's do it now. That feels good, right? That's one of over 23,000 breaths you're gonna take today. You don't even think about it. You focused on that one. That's life. That's rejuvenation. That's the moment right here. And thanks for doing that with me. We all matter.
0: Those breaths matter. Let's remember them. And let's get back to the show. We are back on the Be Fulfilled podcast show. Special friend, Anna David. I got a chance to meet her several years ago at Genius Network with Joe Polish out in Arizona. And I just saw this person leaning against the wall, kind of taking it all in. And I kind of just introduced myself. And that was life. And through kind of friends in the world and higher power, we get connected through another friend, Omar Pinto, who now has put Anna and I into kind of more contact and through conversation, I think maybe even wanting to write a book. is like, hey, how can I help you? And I, I love that about service. I love that about recovery. I love that people put helping others first, but I also love the fact that you've made it a business and you just don't give it away because so many people are cheap and they expect it for free. And I know that there's a price you must pay when you work with Anna because she performs an amazing uh, opportunity for people, you know, helping entrepreneurs uh, to tell their stories, get published, sell books, and build their audiences. I'm, I'm raising my hand, I'm like, all right, let's learn more because I know I'm not alone today. So let's welcome back Anna to the show.
1: What? Well, thank you, Tony. I will say, because I have a psychotically good memory, here's what happened, we met in a hallway Uh, Joe had introduced me as somebody who was in recovery, not a hallway, a staircase. And you introduced yourself to me and we had this awesome conversation. I was like, this guy's really real. Everyone at genius network is great, but you were, you were really real. And then we saw each other at traffic and conversion in 2018. And I remember I was talking to Omar. I was like, I know this guy, I know this guy and you put it together and you were so cool. And again, down to earth. And it, when somebody reaches Genius Network level of success, they're at a certain level. And like I said, everyone's cool there, and I've gotten to know tons of them, but it's taken time. With you, you're just like one of those dudes where you're just super humble, and it's, you're wearing the freaking baseball cap, and it's just on. And so we started talking, and um, it, and then I said, I think I said, you should do a book. And you said, absolutely. We had this conversation I think I even put you in touch with one of my writers and then it quickly went nowhere. And I, as a very good alcoholic, I would have nurtured a resentment towards you for that. But then we became friends and then we ended up partnering on this journal. So I've worked through it, but I still think you say you're stuck on your book. Why would you not be working with us?
0: Yeah, I think- I can make a million excuses. It hasn't been 100% of a priority.
1: Well, that's kind of, uh, this. that's our thing. We work with very successful people who we hope do not consider themselves writers because, you know, to me, a writer is somebody who, since the age that they can remember, they've been trying to craft perfect words into perfect sentences. And... If you have not been in that situation, I do not think you should be writing a book. I think you should be turning it over. In the same way, I don't say, well, I'd really love to go operate on somebody, so I'm going to run into a a surgery room and start operating. I have no training in that, so I shouldn't be doing it. So our problem are the people who come to us who have – maybe written their books and want to be told how excellent they are. We don't do that. It is much easier for us. People come to us. My favorite thing that they say is, I really want a book and I don't know how to write. So we, I partner them with one of my writers. I've got like only LA Times bestselling authors, college professors, like really, really high quality writers. And we extract the story from them. They don't ever do any of the writing. They approve it. Uh, we edit it. We lay it out. We only work with like big five publishing cover designers. And then we launch it. We know how to launch best selling books. So that's what we do. And we do it, I think, better than anybody else.
0: So do I just give you my credit card and check right now. Like I'm sold again. Like, right? That's what I love. Yes.
1: Maybe,
0: maybe it was a total passing of the baton. I'm like, Anna's not going to work with me. She's not going to help me. I'm like,
1: Ever. oh yeah, yeah. I know I'm a big baller like you Tony I don't I don't do it no. um but I would say my writers are, are as or if not more talented than I am at it
0: well that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed working with you is like I'm like hey I never got in you're like I mailed it to you on Friday and today's Tuesday and I'm like what do you mean she's like oh it's in your inbox I like 10 minutes after we finished I dropped it into what you need I'm like yeah. So fast, so talented. All right. So we're going to follow that up. I definitely want to do that, but let's, let's take somebody like myself and go through kind of the light hustle publishing kind of model. Yeah. So you take somebody like me, an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe a level of success, and you're like, all right, so now you want to tell your story. Let us help you. What does that process look like? Is that a eight month year, two year process, five weeks? How does that look?
1: It really depends. Uh, n- nine months is the most it would ever take. So it's the, you know, it's the baby, you know, and with traditional publishing, which I did seven books traditionally, so, sorry, I did six books traditionally. It's a two-year process. It takes for freaking ever. And it's really, really hard to sell a book now to a publisher. So we do, it in nine months, we did do a book for somebody on The Real Housewives in a month but that was insane, wow. but he and, had and
0: it- probably wanted to ride the wave of what's going on with the Real Housewives too.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, this is what happened. He was a gr- he's a great guy. Uh, he forgot to get uh, Bravo's approval on it. So we actually printed the book and then NBC came in and had all sorts of problems with everything, including the title. So in 24 hours, I had a book gone. I had a lawyer go through it. I had it re-edited, re out, reprinted and shipped to him in New Jersey in 48 hours. And like, you know, we pulled off the P- impossible. We don't want to do that again. So- <laughs> But we're really, really fast. I mean, we have a schedule. We have six books coming out over the next few months. So we, you know, we have to be selective about who we work with. When we start talking to somebody who starts haggling with us on the price, we know they're not the right client for us because I'm sure you know this. Anytime you cut a deal, it's the most difficult client you have.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that has been kind of like my secret sauce, I'll tell anybody listening, um, you don't get to see my price sheet it's, it's a conversation. And if we feel like it's a good thing, it's not like I'm here to gouge you in pricing. It's really about us feeling like it's a great connection. And like, you need to make money. I need to make money and I have a livelihood and it's like, I'm not wearing a hat that says, you know, just ask me, I'll give you a discount. Yeah. And it's like, everybody's looking for a, a freebie. And I'm like, it's not a buy one, get one free. I'm like publishing. You just told me everything I needed to hear. Nine months, six books coming out over the next several months. It's a process. It's, this is a, this is a, a passion business. This is your livelihood. Why am I going to go in and ask for a discount? Why am I going to say, is that the best you can get? And so I, I love the fact that you're just being forthright and honest. Cause I think in this day and age, um, there's so many people who say, "Oh, I can help you write a book. And then when you get down to it, I'm, it's five 35, $45,000. And you just told me it's really hard to pitch that book. It's really hard to get that book, you know, to go everywhere, but you have a model and you have a way of doing so that you know, it's a process. And, and I think the methodology has to be right, which it sounds like it is to help people really figure out, hey, this is my new business card. This is my new opportunity. This is the next thing that I'm doing. So I'm going to give you where I'm heading in my mind around my book for the last like maybe month or two. People have asked me why be fulfilled, right? Mm-hmm. I said, I help people to be both personally fulfilled and professionally fulfilled. So I kind of, I want to figure out that that's the angle. I'm going to throw it out here so the universe records it and understands it. But uh, really about personal fulfillment and professional fulfillment, how you can have both of them and how you can have it in all things that you do.
1: Well, and obviously it's genius that you're in fulfillment. Yes. That that's your business. I mean, that's just kind of a perfect, there's God in that because i Bet when you started in the fulfillment business, you did not know that being fulfilled was going to be your mission.
0: No, not at all. And I, it was the furthest thing. I mean, when we moved out of, of that business in California, now that you remember, I'm just now getting clean at the time. And we're getting ready to kind of pack up and leave. I go into my office, and you know, I had frames on my wall, and I would move them, and I'd punch the wall because I was so angry, and I had fist marks everywhere, you know, because I wouldn't hurt or hit anybody. I'd just take it out, and I, I felt like, you know, I really went from a disease mindset to an empowered mindset, and that's what I love helping people to understand that you can have both. Meaning, you can go from a negative to a positive, and then listening to you today share about light hustle publishing and just kind of like, Hey, I had darkness, but I also have seen the light and I want to help you on your journey as an entrepreneur to know that we're going to help you navigate the things that you don't even have to worry about. We're going to, we're going to take all of the hard stuff out of you even thinking about a book and letting you just, help share your story. And we're going to go help to get that story to be a compelling one that'll help get your message out there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, someone on my team is an absolute genius at what we call book architecture. So we actually do a thing where we offer a book mapping call. And we, these are people who want to do them, their books themselves. And we're like, fine, talk to us for an hour. We'll give you an outline of what that's going to be uh, or we have one that makes a lot more sense, which is we talk to you over a month, not just one phone call, um, because uh, the biggest problem is, is what happens to people is they start writing their book, and they get, quote, stuck, and that's because they didn't start out with the correct vision for it. If you have the vision, if you have your outline, you can't get stuck. I think your title, by the way, should be Be Fulfilled, colon, 10 Steps to Personal and Professional Success. Cool. That's what I think you should do it as steps. People like that.
0: Yeah. And, and why would you say steps? Just because help the audience today listen. Maybe they'll hear something themselves.
1: I don't think everybody should do, you know, 10 steps. We did that with uh, with the Real Housewives, House Husbands. He was a House Husband book, but we don't do that with other ones. It just seems like um, for you, you have you have figured out a method and a system for both. And, and I feel like for you, the personal and the professional cross over so much that I bet it could be broken down into steps.
0: I like it. Yeah, and I mean, I work a program that has steps. Yeah. Everything I even just in my first journal that I launched is 12 weeks or just 12 specific steps. So I love that. Okay, so we're going to shift from that Um, so if you're listening today and you're compelled and you know, the greatest thing you can ever do for yourself is to act in that emotion of like, Hey, you know what? I've been sitting on this idea for a while. I just don't know where to go. Well, now you can't say that anymore, right? I'm going to let you eliminate that excuse and I'm going to help you work right now with the best. And I, what do I mean by that is like, I've spent a lot of time in this life, the last 23 years running a, a fulfillment company and meeting authors and speakers and seeing them all. Most people that you see have a wonderful, amazing team behind them. And that is what Anna has been able to do is build a really phenomenal team behind her to really help support you. And I love the whole thing about the phone calls and really kind of mapping it out because we need to mind map what we're thinking and how we're doing it and then allow your genius, New York Times, LA Times, all these amazing authors to come together to really help write the right story and get it out there the right way. So I want to transition from that
1: Wait, I want to say one thing. Well, you can get a, our calls free. Just go to freebookcall.com and schedule a call. A so, we're going to put that in the
0: show notes. Yeah. Like, publishing.com, freebookcall.com. But I want to transition to why'd you say yes to me about wanting to help me launch my very first co branded kind of journal around the topic that's so near, near and dear to my heart? Sounds near and dear to your heart. But why'd you say yes to me?
1: Good question. Um, no, the truth is, um, it's kind of, it's clear to me, and I'm not just blowing smoke, that everything you do is successful when you set your mind to it. And that's who I want to work with. I only will, I, I, I've only learned this in the last couple years, I'll only work with people who have the abundance mindset. I'm, I'm launching a monthly program and I was looking for help and I talked to somebody and I was talking about what I was going to charge and it's not even that much. And she said, I think that's too much. And I said to myself, I can't work with this person because she's, she's got the fear-based mindset. That's not what I want.
0: It's not much. She says it's too much. And I'm like, okay.
1: Because I I need, because you know, the clear division between people who are successful and people who aren't are, is this abundance mindset. And as soon as you get in it, sure, not everything's going to work but, but you're going to have success.
0: Oh, I, I, I'm so grateful for you. All right. So we get a chance to work together, be fulfilled The journal it's there. You can take access to it. It's got amazing videos and content uh, with you behind the scenes being kind of what I call the Sherpa, the really just guiding you through those really just powerful 12 weeks with daily ways for you to do affirmations, lots of writing room to journal and a community to support you in your path to kind of, I think we're all recovering from something. You talked about it, you know, from 16 till now, even in addiction and recovery of all that. I think cancer, death, dealing with people who have, you know, health issues. We're all kind of in this recovery mind. What would you share a little bit on that topic?
1: Well, I think that people are opening up to the idea that they're all in recovery from something. There is a a great stigma still around recovering from addiction and, you know, the word addiction and all of these things. I don't see it as a stigma. I see it as a compliment. (laughs) Sober addicts are like the smartest, coolest, most successful, most charming people I know. But I think that, I think that, like I said earlier, we're all here for a purpose and it, Life is not easy, but I do think as soon as we understand that we're, we're here to learn some mission, you know, whatever it is, we were given these parents for whatever reason. And I believe that if you don't kind of rise to the occasion, which is suffer through the pain and grow, the universe is just going to keep giving you that lesson until you get it. So you might as well just, you know, cause I think addiction is a lot of thinking that we can circumvent feelings and, and it doesn't work they just get worse. So when the pain descends, embrace it, because that's your only way it's going to pass.
0: That is beautiful. And what a great segue. So we can jump into the fulfillment round today. Fulfillment rounds, the I can't phone a friend, I got to make this stuff up. Tony's going to ask me a bunch of random questions. You may ask yourself, why random questions? Well, there's random people listening right now and they want to get to know you. Right. And if I ask the same question on every show you've ever been interviewed, we're going to get the same show every single time. And I'm not up for that. Neither are you. So these are just ways for us to get to know you a little bit better. All I need you to do is say, I am ready and I'll take care of everything else. I'm ready. And now it's time for the fulfillment round. No phoning friend, no using the
1: Google machine, no digging into storage for the encyclopedia Britannica. And I promise Tony won't make you cry. And if you don't know the answer, just make it up.
0: The fulfillment round brought to you by ShipOffers.com for all your product and fulfillment needs. Now, Tony, you ready to ask some questions? Uh, music growing up for you. Were you more into the Sex Pistols, Violent Femmes, or Wham and Culture Club?
1: Oh, Wham and Culture Club.
0: Cool. When you were growing up, were you the person who would sit in the front of the class, middle of the class, or the back of the class? Back of the class. Would you get yourself good grades because you could or would you get bad grades because you could?
1: I would say more good grades because I could, but I was, I'm pretty much, I was a B student.
0: Were you an athlete growing up?
1: Not at all, but I am a dancer. I started ballet at the age of five. So people think I'm athletic, but I can't play a team sport to save my life.
0: Uh, growing up in the Bay Area, did you fall in love with any Bay Area sports team?
1: God, no. I, I'm, I pretend sports th- that doesn't exist.
0: It's this this blank spot when you're scrolling through the guide on television. Like, I don't see those hours and hours of wasted time. I'm gonna go find something else. Eighties uh, favorite movie that you remember that you could take me back into a moment or a scene right now from maybe Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Porky's. Like, I mean, like, tell me where you'd go in the eighties.
1: Oh, The Sure Thing. I was obsessed with that. And it's not a movie that many people know, but John Cusack was in it.
0: I think so many people had such a, like this, he was like the heartthrob for so many people. And he still like, is going strong today.
1: Yeah, The Sure Thing, please, if anyone can learn anything from me, go see that movie.
0: A quote that you have heard maybe in recovery or just in life that really resonates with you and you kind of, you kind of put it out there in the world in your own way.
1: Uh, the roomie quote, live life like it's rigged in your favor.
0: I love it. You know, Anne, I just want to say thank you today for, for being here. Last question I have for you. There's the date that we're born, and we don't know our end date, but there is a dash in between those two moments in time. What would you like the world to best know about you, and how would that read on your tomb, in the obituary, out into the world?
1: Um. She helped change the conversation. She brought the dark into the light.
0: Well, I am honored you were a guest today on Be Fulfilled. You know, it's the real stories behind success. We can talk about all the success, all the money, all the stuff. But when you really get down to it, we, we covered a lot. We covered addiction. We covered recovery. We talked about relationships and the importance of, you know, building good ones, but dealing with difficult ones. And, you know, you, you don't get to pick your parents right? I don't get to pick my mom. I didn't pick my dad. I didn't pick my sister, but I've learned how to grow up with them and how I've been able to adjust. Uh, from lighthustlepublishing.com, what was it? Freebookcall.com?
1: Yep. Yep. That's so we really got those two.
0: We got befulfilledrecovery.com. Anything else that you want me to put out there to the world to f- help you?
1: I'm trying to think. I mean, that's my focus. I do have a podcast called Light Hustler, which you're going to be coming on. And, you know, everything else can be seen from Light Hustle Publishing.
0: All right. You'll do that. We'll make sure that the world knows more about you. I just oh, want to say
1: follow things. me too, at Anna B. David, on all the social media platforms.
0: All of the social media platforms. All where, of them. Where would you find you more? Are you, last question, I guess, in the fulfillment round, are you more of a Snapchat or an Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter? Where would you be?
1: I'm Instagram. Straight up. Instagram? Yeah.
0: How are you doing on your video game, preparing for pretty much the world domination of, you know, Instagram becoming mainly video?
1: Oh, is that what's happening?
0: Yeah, I think 21, 22, yeah, around there.
1: Well, I would say I'm pretty on top of it because I do IGTV and plenty of lives.
0: Well, I've got a lot to follow up on. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is Anna David, my dear friend. My name is Tony Grubmeyer and until next time, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, choose to make today the absolute best day of your life.